You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston and this is The Bike Show. the next two weeks on The Bike Show, I'm going to invite you to ride with me from Montreal to New York City. Uh, this was a ride I did over the summer and we pick it up um, just as I'm leaving Montreal. The sound you can hear is the sound of vehicles crossing over the Jacques Cartier Bridge, which goes south out of Montreal uh, towards the United States border. And it's that bridge that I'm about to cross on the uh, first few kilometers of my North American bicycle tour, my inaugural North American bicycle tour, because this is the first time that I've ever ridden a bicycle for more than a few hours in the United States. I spent a few days getting over the jet lag and getting myself ready and taking a look around Montreal and that is really quite a cycle friendly city. On the outside it does look like you know any small North American city. It's got the the big highways running right through it with four lanes in each direction. It's got the, um, the skyscrapers or the semi-skyscrapers. It's got the wide residential streets. But in amongst it all, it's got some absolutely fantastic bicycle lanes and evidence of a really strong bicycle culture. The first thing that alerted me to that is the fact that there are a lot of people on their bikes, especially in uh, July, the height of summer, where the weather is really wonderful. But those bikes appear to be well-used, well-loved, and pretty old bikes, which suggests to me that you know this place has been cycling for a long time. This is not something new, um, like maybe it is in London, where we're seeing you know really, really lots and lots of people. So in you know, Montreal, clearly people have been cycling for a long time. There are plenty of um, excellent bike shops and um, a really good kind of office 
of the um, cyclists of Quebec where I went along and picked up various maps and information and, and had a coffee and a sandwich and that's a really nice facility they've got there. Another thing that uh, makes Montreal a uh, cycling city and this is a much more recent development is the free bicycle or very cheap uh, bicycle hire scheme um, much like the celebrated Velib in Paris and other uh, bicycle hire schemes around Europe. I think this is the first one in North America. I could be wrong um, but it, it, it definitely um, is visible all around town. So hats off to the people of Montreal for getting behind their um, cheap bicycle hire scheme. It's really evident that the cycling here is embedded into the infrastructure of the city. You know, they've got these bike lanes which are real bike lanes. You know, they're two ways, there's plenty of room, they're totally separate from the, um, the vehicle traffic and really, really excellent. Another example is this bridge that I'm standing on now. I'm reminded a little bit of the uh, amusing incident that occurred to me when I just moved over to um, live in um, Oakland, California and I was attempting to cycle across the San Francisco Bay Bridge to San Francisco and was you know, laughed at by everybody who, who informed me that this was completely not possible as um, the bridge is only accessible to cars. Well, this Jacques Cartier Bridge, which is an absolutely um, magnificent bridge across the St. Lawrence River, is open to bicycles. There's a great bicycle lane here on the right-hand side of the bridge as I'm heading south. And I'm going to have to confess to you that one of my very few recurring nightmares in life concerns bridges like this particularly suspension bridges but you know this one will do bridges over large bodies of water where I, I, I'm forced to walk along the very very top of the bridge while being chased by malevolent fiends and it's with that thought in mind what Germans might refer to as an Angstfrühstück that I um, head south and it's a beautiful day today um, apparently the weather forecast is very bad for tomorrow so I'm going to see if I can get as far as I can um, today which is not a very good idea probably you know the first day of a bicycle tour ought to be just easing in uh, to the rhythm, rhythm of things but I think it's going to be pouring with rain tomorrow so I'm going to see if I can make it to the US border um, and some way into New York State before I uh, make camp tonight road again Just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends and I can't wait to get on the road again On the road again Going places that I've never been Seeing things that I may never see again I can't wait to get on the road again Road again, like a band of gypsies, we go down the highway. We're the best of friends, insisting that the world keep turning our way and our way. It's on the road again, I just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends, and I can't wait to get on the road again.
after a little more than 100 kilometers, I'm now within sight of the frontier between Canada and the United States. It's been pretty much plain sailing from Montreal today. I came out um, kind of over the bridge and then out along on the uh, La Route Verte Une, um, which kind of heads southeast. It was a little tricky uh, finding my way initially, but um, fairly fairly soon I was onto uh, the route, which was in most parts absolutely fantastic, beautifully paved, full of cyclists, completely traffic-free, and a real joy to uh, to ride along. I did lose my way a couple of times, but that was probably more due to my own inattention than any failings of the route. The route passed by the Richelieu River and a great big lake at Chambly, which was quite spectacular. I passed up the opportunity of a swim there, which I'm now regretting. It's been jolly hot today, um, but I guess I ought to expect that, it being the 1st of August, and it's certainly better than the thunderstorms that are predicted for tomorrow. It's pretty flat around here. Once the countryside opened up, um, it was you know fairly monotonous. A lot of fields of maize, or corn as they call it, over the border, and quite a lot of dairy farms. But not unpleasant. A lot of long, straight roads. I mean, after Saint-Jean-sur-Richelieu, the, um, the kind of segregated cycle route ended, and I was back on, on country roads. And there's nothing wrong with that. And just passing through scenes of summer in uh, Quebec, really. A few garage sales on the go. Some fat old men in their yards mowing the lawn on their sit-on lawn mowers. You know, the kind of thing that, I guess, fits the stereotype. The sky, like everything around here, is enormous. I mean, the distances are enormous. You know, Canada is the second largest country by land mass after Russia. I suppose quite a fair amount of it is under permanent ice or uh, enormous forests or just great swathes of, of wheat, so not much going going on. But it is a big country, and, and the skies at this afternoon became filled with the most enormous clouds, great big kind of thunderheads that, that passed over. And I managed to dodge the showers. It looked like a few people had got very soaked um, at one point, and... Um, I guess it was very localised, but it's been really wonderful watching the clouds drift over. They're all bubbling up from the southwest, where I think there's a front coming up over um, Pennsylvania and um, upstate New York, heading up towards where we are, bringing the bad weather tomorrow.
This is the sound of the waters of Lake Champlain lapping up against the beach and about 10 feet from the water's edge is where I've spent the night in my tent. I arrived here on the Vermont side having crossed the bridge over from Roos's Point at the border crossing fairly late in the day. And the sun was definitely on its way down and so I had to um, be pretty quick about finding a spot to camp but I uh, found this little grove of trees just between uh, the lake shore and the road and um, cycled along a little while until I saw a point that looked promising and just hopped over through the trees and onto the beach and um, this is where I've stayed the night. It's been absolutely wonderful. There were quite a lot of insects out in the dusk and night time last night, so it was a little bit of a battle uh, to stay inside my tent out of the way of the insects um, while getting some food together. But I appeared to survive and don't seem to have any mosquito bites, which I think is something of a miracle. The border crossing yesterday um, was interesting. There were a couple of Hungarian guys ahead of me in the queue who had apparently crossed the border by accident and didn't mean to come into the United States. And this, of course, created a whole lot of um, bureaucracy uh, for the, uh, the two border guards to deal with. And they had to fill out a lot of forms, give a lot of stern looks at the uh, miscreants before sending them back on their way to Canada. I just had to fill in a form, pay my $6, and I was in. Roos's Point, I have to say, has a real border town feel about it. Quite, quite grim. Um, so it wasn't much of a decision to decide to leave New York State behind and cross over the bridge to Vermont. And while the change in the landscape is kind of imperceptible really there do seem to be a few more hills around here I'm essentially going to be riding today down a series of islands which are joined by bridges 
and um, I don't know how busy the highway is going to be here. I'm hoping it's going to be um, quite empty. But there definitely has been more traffic on the road than there was in Canada and far fewer bicycles. I've yet, in fact, to see another person on a bicycle in the United States of America. Um, as I went further and further away from Montreal, there were fewer and fewer bicycles, but, you know, still a reasonable trickle. And when I crossed over the border, the only two-wheeled machines, apart from me, were great big gold wing and Harley-Davidson motorcycles uh, roaring past, often in groups of ten or more. That's uh, just quite a, uh, quite a shock to the system. Um, but, you know, it's early days, and I'm looking forward to uh, what is promising to be a beautiful day. I don't know where these thunderstorms are that were promised, but maybe they'll be coming in the afternoon. So I guess I need to make the best use of the time I have this morning to... Um, to get a hustle on. I'm hoping to make it to the to the Adirondack Mountains today. As you heard, most of the time I was uh, camping by the side of the road, uh, but a few nights I decided to stay in campgrounds, either because it was difficult to find a good spot or I wanted a, a hot shower or just fancied um, a bit of sociability. And sociability is, is something that's not lacking in uh, campgrounds of the United States. I particularly found that the bicycle uh, was a source of interest for people because most people were are camping with their cars and, and people would come over and start chatting. And one guy um, who I got chatting with you know, for quite some time, he, he was a fellow called Ron who essentially seemed to live um, in the campgrounds of uh, upstate New York he was very keen to impart his knowledge of the area to me and uh, give me some directions for how I should continue my journey. And then you can cut across, and there's a very nice campground, Wilmington Nut State Campground. That's one. This is mostly down. It's about a 10-mile ride into Placid. through here, but this has some hills in here, but not steep. It's a tourist town. Okay. It's a tourist town. Uh, but the views of the mountains through here are gorgeous. From here to here, you can go down this way. You'll miss Placid in here. To here is basically well, actually, flat. You can do it this way, Farmlands. This is right by the Sable River and the Black Brook. Very beautiful. And you'll, it'll you come take out from Wilmington over here. This There's road one here. steep hill over here. Do not go this way. Because up to here, it's great. Here, I think uh, Armstrong would have difficulty. Plus, the road's like this, and they drive like lunatics. Like lunatics. Ooh, you nearly got that blue jay. That would be a mistake. Blue jays are not easy birds. So you're here with your cat, who's uh, doing a little hunting. Yeah, hunting... Yeah, she's a terrible hunter. She got two very dumb chipmunks at uh, the notch. They practically ran into her mouth, and luckily I was close by. and ran and got them away from her. That was the first thing she ever caught, except for butterflies. She's great killing butterflies and eating them. She's on, she's on the leash here Yeah, in the day. And in the leash in the tent. Does she mind that? 
she has no choice but Daryl. He was a, one of these logging, you know, landscape logger type thing. Got drunk one night. He came out of his bedroom in a very, very nice silk blouse and a pastel mini skirt, a thong, high heels, and black fishnets. And everybody knows you never wear black fishnets with a pastel mini skirt. That's very gauche. <laughs> very gauche. I mean, no sense of fashion whatsoever. We said, then he, oh, falling down, blood took off the miniskirt. We said, if you want to live this night, go in and put clothes on. I don't care what you do in private, but I don't want to look at your hairy ass. <laughs> Triathlon people are narcissistic people. Everything's their body, them, and this and that. And they are such pain in the asses. I hope you're not a triathlon. I mean, everything is here. They got their 10,000, 15,000 titanium, whatever type of bikes and this and that. And they make a mess and they're nasty and they're loud. Things started turning a little bit strange when Ron, who had spent much of his life as a police officer in New York City, started telling me about his plans for the winter. I'm going to be in this campground for another uh, about 11 days. Then I'll move to another campground for two weeks. Then I'll move to another campground for two weeks. Then it'd be Labor Day and I'll plop my butt in one campground and stay till the snows come over. I decided to go to Florida. And I have a lot of friends from when I worked down there as a child abuse investigator. Maybe I'll look them up. And I might look up some of my old kids who I helped. Yeah, that's debatable, because if I do that, I may be just reminding them of bad times. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it's best to get out of their lives. After you've got them safe, let them live their lives. But this one little, well, she's not a little girl now. Uh, little Beth. Uh, now she ain't little now. Sexually abused by her stepfather. And I got called out of, I got home at 11.45 and I got called out at 11.50 at night. It's a long day. Go to the uh, camp trailer park. And two deputy cars are there. And the guy's in the back seat of one of the cars with the back door open and he's handcuffed in the front. What's unusual about that? We don't handcuff in the front and we never leave the back door open. The two deputies are on the other side of the car, and they're trying to get the neighbors out of there because they're going to play rabbit with him. In other words, they're going to drag his ass out into the open field and ba-boom, 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 and just shoot him dead. And I was very upset because I left my gun at home and I couldn't join in the fun. But they couldn't get the neighbors away because uh, they had a rope. They were ready to string him up. When they found out, he beat the hell out of the mother, and she blabbed about him molesting the daughter. Now, Beth was an angel. Besides being gorgeous, an angel. Too good. Sexually abused girls can go either way. Very promiscuous and nasty and painy assy. Well, they accept the mother's role, and they became the mother. 
and I took Beth, who was, well, you can't take me. Who's going to take care of my mother? And uh, I know you may not be spiritual, and I wasn't spiritual at that time. But a miracle happened. I was able to get it to my friends who are Baptist school teachers. And uh, they raised her. She became on her own. Uh, head of a youth group in the Baptist church and did counseling for other girls who were sexually abused. And at 15, I mean, she was like gorgeous, but in a sweet, non-trampy way. As me, unfortunately, many of our young girls are now because they, MTV and everything else ruined them. And uh, it was a miracle. That was one of my favorite girls. I kept the case with the permission of the judge and my boss's, boss's, boss's boss. That's how high up. Bob Horner, he gave me permission. Instead of giving it to the uh, social workers, because social workers are lazy and they don't give a damn. I was not a social worker, I was an investigator. And I carried a gun. Now I'm not sure how much of that was true, but I didn't see a great deal of Ron after that conversation. We will pick up with a tour as I head up into the Adirondacks next week. My name's Buffalo Bill and you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. In the last few minutes of the show, we continue with the serialisation of Paul Fornell's reading from Need for the Bike. And this week... He addresses the subject of the cycling tan. The ultimate outfit of the cyclist, the one he wears when he has given everything else up, his tattoo is his tan. Getting a tan terrifies me. The prospect of stretching out in the sun for 10 minutes to roast myself sends me into death agony. It so happens that cycling is an outdoor sport, often done in the sun. So, you get a tan, even if you don't want it. The biker's tan starts at the middle of the arm and descends to the glove. On the left side, it spares the watch. It starts halfway up the thighs and stops at the socks. It strikes the head and neck. If the same cyclist wears a cap, his white forehead sticks out until now the mark of the Auvergnat peasant. None of this seems cool to the bare breast and string bikini crowd. One summer, my friend Rémy and I rolled through the Alps from north to south. We went from Geneva to Saint-Tropez, doing all the great climbs along the way, the Aravis, the Cormet de Roseland, the Isran, the Isoar, the Vars, the Alos with the Verdon as dessert. We finished this little trip sated with the sun, fried and refried. Arriving in Saint-Tropez in late afternoon, the first thing we had to do was swim in the Mediterranean. We caused a sensation. In the land of the tanning cult, these two big guys with their whitish bellies and swarthy limbs set off plenty of whispering and nudging. The babes practically died laughing. 
I bear the marks of my biker's tan all winter. It's my second skin. I derive neither shame nor glory for it. I take it on. And with the first rays of the spring sun, I put down another layer. One day, I was at the pool, and a kid yelled at me, Hey, Pops, you forgot your bike! It's hard to stay incognito. That was Paul Fornell reading from Need for the Bike, recorded by Chris Dixon at a live reading at the Calder Bookshop in uh, London, in Waterloo. And we'll hear more from uh, Paul next week. And that's it for The Bike Show. If you're listening on a Monday night, next up is One Life Left. If you're listening to the Saturday afternoon repeat, you're about to be treated to Johnny Trunk and OST. But that's all from me. Until next week, goodbye. <laughs>